What's up, Moto community? Welcome to episode six of the Dented Pipe podcast. I am your host, Ronnie, and this week we're going to look at all the Supercross action and chaos that went down in Atlanta. As way of reminder, like I start every podcast, I have no connections to any of the riders, the mechanics, the teams, the owners, the manufacturers, or any of the sponsors involved in Monster Energy AMA Supercross. This is a private tier podcast by a fan for the fans. I simply grew up riding dirt bikes and went to my first Supercross in 94 and fallen in love with both Supercross and Motocross. So with that said, there's really only one question left to ask. Are you ready to podcast? So let's take a look at the 250s. Chase Sexton was your fastest qualifier, followed by McElrath, Hampshire, Brown, March Banks, rounding out your top five. Jeremy Martin would win Heat 1, followed by McElrath, Brown, Lopes, Shimoda, Morans, Starling, Nice, and Thurman, rallying out your top nine and going directly to the main event. Chase Sexton would win Heat 2 and lead Smith, Hampshire, Gaines, March Banks, Josh Hill, Bailey, Sales, and Swole to the main event. Your LCQ would be won by Harlan, followed by Kovash, Subaras, and Dakotas, filling out your 22 rider main event. So in the main event, RJ Hampshire would grab the whole shot and lead the first lap, followed by Sexton, McElrath, Jeremy Martin, Smith, Marchbanks, Gaines, Swole, Brown, and Bailey rounding out your top 10. Josh Hill would have a horrible start and be buried back in the pack almost in last place. 13 minutes plus one lap, and Hampshire, Sexton, McElrath are all less than a second apart and pulling away from Jeremy Martin third. McElrath dives to the inside of Sexton after the whoop section and takes control of the inside of the corner and takes over second. Chase Sexton would not settle, though, and a couple turns later, he would get a better drive through the sand and end up passing McElrath back. 10 minutes plus one lap, and Sexton has picked up the pace. He is pulling away from uh, McElrath and gaining on Hampshire, who started to pull a little bit of a gap while Sexton and McElrath were battling back and forth. The running order now is Hampshire, Sexton, McElrath, Jeremy Martin, Marshbanks, Smith, Gaines, Swole, Shimoda, and Lopes, rounding out your top 10. Just under eight minutes and one lap left, and Sexton triples to the inside, uh, end of a ripple... Rhythm section, excuse me, I can't speak today. Uh, there was a, a triple that a lot of the guys were doing in the corner. Sexton dove to the inside and put a, an aggressive but clean block pass on RJ Hampshire. There was contact in the slow motion replay they showed on TV. You could see that Hampshire really leaned into it, almost got an elbow into Sexton's ribs. He knew it was coming, and he prepared for it, and he didn't go down. There was contact. It looked like his front, Hampshire's front tire kind of got bumped out of the line it was in, but he, there was no risk of him going down. He never lost control. Both riders stayed up. So with five minutes plus one lap left, Sexton has opened up a 3.5-second lead over Hampshire, and McElrath now is four seconds back and under pressure from Jeremy Martin in fourth. The next lap at the end of the sand section, that there's a single on the inside corner, inside half of the turn coming out of the sand section. Um, 
the way RJ Hampshire hit it, it kicked him to the right, and he ended up going just outside the tough blocks, and he quickly turned and got right back on, but his foot or pegs or something caught the two tough blocks he cut between, and it pushed one of them right into the inside. It turned it sideways, so it was halfway on the inside of the track. And then uh, McElrath went around that single, so he went around the tough block, but Jeremy Martin jumped that single and ended up landing right on the tough block in between the tires, which brought his bike instantly to a stop and flipped him up and over the bars. The bike would land on the back, break the rear fender. It was pointed down at the tire, and he was uh, Jeremy Martin was stuck under the bike for a quick second, but was able to get out, and it took him a few seconds for riders to get clear before he could turn the bike around get started again he would also end up having to go into the mechanics area and have them just completely remove the broken fender off because it was causing too much problems so unfortunately for jeremy martin his night would end really badly um three minutes plus one lap and mcelrath is applying pressure to hampshire but he can't seem to find a way around shimoda who is on the move makes a pass on marchbanks moves into fifth and Josh Hill is up to 13th. You got uh, Justin Starling. He's running in 16th, which would be his best finish of the 2020 season. And in the end, Chase Sexton would go ahead and take his second win, second win in a row, followed by Hampshire, McElrath, Smith, Shimoda, Lopes, Marshbanks, Gaines, Swole, Josh Hill, Subaross, Bailey, Dakotas, Morans, Sales, Starling would hold on to that 16th. Brown, Harlan, Jeremy Martin, Nice, Thurman, and Kobosh. So let's take a look at, at Chase Sexton. Now, if Chase Sexton was a baseball pitcher, he would have just pitched a shutout. He didn't allow these guys to score any confidence on him this week. He was the fastest qualifier, he won his heat race, and he also won the main event. The only thing he could have done better to get that that uh, impressive pitcher status of pitching a no-hitter is if Chase Sexton would have got the whole shot. So my positive for Chase Sexton is he has, it seems like this year he's found that next level. He's found that level that has put him, I would say, after three rounds, a step above um, the rest of the field. Shane McElrath ran away with the season, the 250 East Coast season opener in Tampa, but uh, Sexton had to come from behind to catch up. So by the time he got into third or second, uh, McElrath was gone. Then he battled with McElrath in the three races for the Triple Crown and got the overall. And now he straight up just beat both RJ Hampshire, Hampshire and Shane McElrath in a, a, a normal 15 minute plus one lap main event. All three guys were there. And uh, Hampshire was even started out in front of Sexton. And McElroth was right behind him. So Chase Sexton is showing that he is trying to take this championship by the, by the horns and control it. And it looks like he is starting to take control of it. Now, that's not to count out McElroth or Hampshire and say this championship's over. No, no. It's not like the 2019 dominance we saw at Austin Forkner where it looked like no one was on his level. But it does seem like those three at least have taught, risen to the top, Hampshire, McElrath, and Sexton. And it seems like Chase Sexton, he has 
the look and I get the vibe of a champion from him. So I think he is going to be the man to beat. Those other two guys are going to have to take it from Chase Sexton. My negative, the only negative I can see is he is continuing to grow an aggressive rivalry with RJ Hampshire. And what I mean by that is for the second week in a row, they've had contact um, clean. I'm not going to say any of the passes have been dirty. They are aggressive block passes. Um, both riders seem to be okay with it. Last week's interview, uh, post-race press conference interview, both guys were good with it. Um, this week's post-race press conference interview, neither Sexton or Hampshire were mad or upset about the contact. But my point is, if you're Chase Sexton and you're in it for this championship, um, you don't need to be making contact with other riders if it's not necessary. Um, because every time you block past someone and bump them, look at look at what happened last week in the first mate or first race of the Triple Crown, and then you talk to R.J. Hampshire in the post uh, race interview or um, sorry post race press conference. He was saying, "Well, I owed him one from motocross back in August or some somewhere you know last year." So now we're even. R.J. Hampshire says, we're even, we're good. Well, now Sexton's come in and put an aggressive, with contact, block pass back on him. Are they still even? Is R.J. Hampshire now going to be looking for that opportunity, not to necessarily clean him out, but to put a rough pass on him? All it takes is your front tire going over the top of the berm, or you go down, not even getting hurt, but you go down and lose a bunch of places in the middle of a race or towards the end, and now you've taken a major hit in your championship run. So for Chase Sexton, he needs to try to put an end to this rivalry that's going. Now, you're always going to have rivals. Chad Reed, James Stewart, Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael, um, Damon Bradshaw and Mike Kudrowski in 125s back in the 80s, uh, I think 89. Uh, you're always going to have rivalries. Dungey and Villapoto, Villapoto and Stewart. Um, there's that that's going to happen when you're in a championship uh, battle. You're going to have rivalries, but Villapoto and Dungey didn't have a physical rivalry. McGrath and Carmichael, they weren't constantly slamming each other. You can only do this so many times before eventually. Either something on your bike is going to break or you are going to get hurt. So that's my only thing for Chase Sexton is to try to just get out in front and leave these guys behind. Let them take each other out and just do your thing. Or if you can, get around him cleanly so you don't have him thinking or being in that mindset that, oh, I owe him one. And then as soon as they see an opportunity, bam, he, they leave you on the ground. So the second place rider, RJ Hampshire, he qualified third. Got third in Heat 2, and he stepped it up one level and got second in the main event. RJ Hampshire had a good ride in Atlanta. He got the whole shot. He led eight laps, and he kept Sexton within three seconds by the checkered flag. So he he's moving forward. He's not – Sexton didn't just leave him by 10 seconds, and he's led several laps. So now he's led laps in a triple crown race. And he actually won a triple crown race. Now he's led eight laps. Um, that's about half, a little less than half the laps in the main event. So he's getting more comfortable and used to being up front. 
there was a total of 19 laps, so I apologize. Uh, just less than half. So RJ led eight, and I believe that the rest were led, yes, by Chase Sexton. So out of 19, RJ led eight, Sexton led the rest. So uh, for RJ Hampshire, he needs to build on this ride. Build on, build on the win of the race from Arlington. Now leading laps, keep getting those good starts, keep getting those whole shots, put yourself out front, put yourself in a good position. Um, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And then just keep growing and get more confident. My negative for Hampshire, he had some sketchy moments. Uh, he got that weird kick, ended up going off the track and knocking the, the tough block on the track, which ended up getting Jeremy Martin. There was a rhythm section that he was really struggling with. They were, I believe, tripling and then tripling onto the top of a tabletop, and he kept clipping one of them. So he just needs to, to try to calm down a little. Sometimes slower is faster, ask James Stewart, ask Ricky Carmichael. Sometimes going a little bit slower actually ends up going faster. But in the long run, RJ Hampshire is in the fight, and he just needs to be there all week. And, and avoid any big mistakes that could cost him an injury or several points in the championship. So Shane McElrath, he qualified second. He got second in his heat race, and he ended up third in the main event. My positive for Shane McElrath is he's been on the podium every week uh, of the 250 East Coast Championship. So he's being consistent. He is staying in the front. So he's not getting a gap in points. He's not. The championship is still in his grasp. I mean, we're only three rounds into this. So for Shane McElrath, he's doing good. If you're not winning, second or third are the Knicks' best options. My negative, though, is we have seen this from McElrath before. He always starts out strong, and then towards the middle and end of a series, it isn't as hot as he started out. So he started out with first, then last week he got second overall, and now he's third. So he's actually trending backwards. So for for Shane McElrath, he needs to turn it back up. He needs to get that whole shot. I know he said in the post-race uh, conference, press conference, that he actually ended up getting some sand inside his goggles. So that's a whole nother distraction. Every time you hit a bump, Every time you jump, it's it's flying up on the inside of your goggles, messing up with your vision, messing with your focus, and might even be getting in your eyes, making them water up. So if that's the case, I mean, really good to finish in third, but you're going to have to fight for it. You're not going to be able to just go out there and be hands down better than ever. You're going to have to fight Chase Sexton. You're going to have to fight RJ Hampshire for this championship. Uh, Jordan Smith. Um, he got seventh. He qualified seventh, second in the heat number two, and fourth in the main event. George Smith had a good bounce back from Arlington. He he was on the ground a lot. I think Martin Davalos was the only person who who uh, did more dirt samples than than Jordan Smith. So for him to come back and get fourth, that's a great solid finish for him. He has been consistently staying inside the top five. Um, with the exception of, like I said, Arlington. So so for him, when he's not having a bad night, people aren't taking him out and he's not going down, he is a consistent top five finisher. Jordan Smith is a, a top five rider, like I just said. 
but he needs to. I'm trying to think how to put this. The guys are really pushing him around right now, and we really saw that in Arlington. Shane McElrath in the first main event shoved him off the side of a berm, and then uh, he went down on his own, got kind of banged up, and then in the third and final race in Arlington, R.J. Hampshire took him out. Now he's just kind of here, here in fifth place, or I'm sorry, a fourth place is a great ride for Jordan Smith, but I expect more from him. He needs to stop letting these guys push him around. He is here. He is a contender to win races every night. Unfortunately, after that bad race in Arlington and with how good these guys are up front, the top three of Hampshire, Sexton, and McElrath, it's going to take winning a lot of races in this series to get back in the points lead. He's not out of it, but he's not right up there where he wants to be. So for him, he just needs to focus on winning races week after week after week and get his, work his way back into this championship. And who knows? Look at what we saw in the West Coast. Your three top riders, Cooper Webb, I'm sorry, Justin Cooper, uh, Dylan Ferrandez, and Austin Forkner all had one bad race outside of the top 10, which could allow Jordan Smith with his consistency and if he can start getting on the podium and winning races, get back into this championship. Next, we have Joe Shimoda. He qualified 14th. He got fifth in the heat race, heat number one, and fifth in the main event. Joe Shimoda started his 250 rookie season with back-to-back 10s. 10th place finishes, my apologies. And he, he cut that in half this week. He moved up from 10th place finishes in Tampa and Arlington to a fifth place finish here tonight. This is more of the ride I expected from Joe Shimoda. So good for, for Shimoda to come out here. He's now knocked the nerves off, knocked the cobwebs off, and he's now feeling more comfortable in this class. And he now knows how these guys ride, how he's going to have to race them. And he, he did really good in Atlanta. My negative is he keeps getting bad starts. Uh, Shimoda was showing great speed all day. He had a decent – he didn't qualify very well. But, I mean, top five in, in the, the heat race, you know, he, he, he's there. He, he, he had, he's showing the potential to be there. So it was good seeing him get that top five, but he needs better starts. I think he was buried back. It looked like around 12th after the first lap. Or, I'm sorry, after the, the, the whole shot line. And he was up in the top 10, I believe, before the end of the first lap. But still, he had to work his way from behind, where if he could have started in the top five, he might have been able to be part of that four-rider battle that we had until Martin went down with uh, Sexton, Hampshire, McElrath, and, and Jeremy Martin. So if he could have started up there, I think he he's showing some speed. He is a rookie this year, so not necessarily could he have done it for 15 laps plus one or 15 minutes plus one lap, but he, he had a good race and he's really improving and I expect to see him keep moving up. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does at Daytona next week. That brings us to Enzo Lopes. Enzo Lopes qualified 12th. He got fourth in heat one and sixth in the main event. In only his second year of Supercross, Enzo Lopes keeps improving each and every race. With an 11th in Tampa, Lopes got a career best of 8th last week overall in Arlington, and he beat it again with a 6th this week in Atlanta. 
So my positive for Lopes is he keeps growing. He keeps improving. He keeps building off of what he did last week and getting better and getting stronger. So now he's one spot shy of the top five. So I'm keeping my eye on Lopes. He's actually right now, uh, I, I'm considering him for my Pulp MX Fantasy this week. He, unfortunately, doing as good as he did hurt his handicap. So I'm, I'm playing with it, but he wouldn't be a bad pick if you're looking for someone to fill out your uh, Pulp MX Fantasy for Daytona. My negative for Lopes, unfortunately, is he started in 11. And again, like I said with Joe Shimoda, the speed, they are showing the speed to kind of get up there and battle for these top five positions, but he is going to need to start closer to the front because these guys are gone. They, they don't wait around. Um, they As soon as the gate drops, they are going 100%. You get a lot of these world champions that come over from MXGPs, and the number one thing you hear all of them say is, you guys don't waste any time. Now, you guys, from the stop of the gate, you're going 100% putting fast laps in, not starting out at a nice pace, and then waking it up at the last half of the race like they used to do. Nowadays, I think MXGP, they have really picked it up to where – you got guys like Hurlings. He he could run with Tomac. Um, it, it'd be a great it'd be a great series if you get either Tomac to go MXGP for a season or Hurlings to come over here to U.S. Motocross for a season. I'd love to see these guys go week after week. It would be an exciting exciting thing to see. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Lopes isn't gonna have the time to get to the front and still be in it. If he wants to keep stepping up, if he wants to keep improving and get into that top five, he needs to start more towards the front. The best thing he can do is start in the top five, and I think he has the speed then to stay in the top five. Garrett Marchbanks, he finished seventh in the main event. He qualified fifth and was fifth in heat number two. My positive for Garrett Marchbanks, he started in sixth and was able to move up to fifth. And for the most of the main event, he just was there. Um, he he rode solid. He didn't go backwards. He didn't fade. Uh, guys didn't catch him and run him down. He ended up going up, making a pass. Oh, I'm sorry. He ended up falling down, uh, losing a spot. He started in sixth, ended up in seventh. And he was in fifth for a little while. But all in all, he he's staying, he's staying up there towards the top five. My negative is after running fifth, for a while in the main event, Marsh Banks would start fading towards the very end and end up seventh. So he just needs to work on that speed, that consistent speed, for a full 15 minutes plus one lap. So that brings us to eighth place, which was Nick Gaines. Now, Nick Gaines, he qualified ninth. He got fourth in heat number two, and he got eighth in the main event. My positive for Nick Gaines is he got a 14th in Tampa, and he failed to qualify for the Triple Crown in Arlington. And now he comes back and gets 8th. So he gets to finish inside the top 10. So that is great. That is a way to rebound. That is a way to, to, to build. You know, 14th, then you don't qualify. You could got 20th. You know, but he came back and got it inside the top 10. So he's not happy with where he's been, where the season started. And he's showing he's digging deep and he's fighting for every position. And he's going to try to keep on moving up through the the ladder, through the riders as these races go on. Uh, my negative for Nick Gaines, 
I didn't pick up for my Pulp MX Fantasy team, and I lost out some points on that. So for Nick Gaines, congratulations on qualifying for the main event and for getting a top 10 finish, finishing in 8th place. In ninth is Jalik Swole. He qualified 13th. He got 9th in Heat 2 and 9th place in the main event. After not qualifying for his first professional 250 main event, Jalik Swall has finished with back-to-back 9th place finishes. So now we're seeing a little more of what we expected from him. Um, I didn't know anything about Jalik Swole coming into the season, but listening to several different podcasts like I do every week, a lot of guys who are in the industry and in the know who go to Loretta Lynn's and stuff like that, they knew of Jalik Swole, and they knew he had some speed. So for me, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see he's putting it together there. And he, again, would be another solid pick for your Pulp MX Fantasy team going into Daytona. Tenth place goes to Josh Hill. He qualified 11th. He was sixth place in Heat 2, and he ended up 10th place in the main event. Josh Hill rode a great race, coming from almost dead last and working his way back to 10th. I had Josh Hill on my Pulp MX Fantasy team because he's been showing me uh, speed the last couple weeks. When someone gets hurt, um, and they're out for a little while or they, they miss a season or whatever it is, you always hear the insiders, the pros, the mechanics, the, the media guys who really know the sport and are connected to the riders and the teams talk about how you can run as many laps as you want. You can run as fast as you want on practice days, but you, you don't get that race speed until you're at the races. And a lot of riders come back, talk about they're racing themselves back into shape. So, with Josh Hill having so many years off and now coming back to race, he's been slowly racing himself back into that race speed. He's been doing great, and I picked him because I felt he would have had a good finish. Now, unfortunately, he had a really bad start, and that hurt him, but he still got into 10th place and still got me some points. He was an all-star, so no double points, but still a great ride for Josh Hill. So that's going to wrap up our 250s. Uh, just want to close out the 250 segment by giving that shout out to Justin Starling. Congratulations on 16th place. I know you're riding with a, a uh, you're recovering from a shoulder injury. You said on social media that it just it gets tired and and gets hard to hold on, but you're improving. You uh, you got 20th in Tampa. Unfortunately, you had a bad luck in the LCQ at Arlington and went down in the first corner. Didn't make it, but you're back, and you got 16th. So keep improving, keep your head up, and keep riding up towards the front of that pack. And that'll that'll conclude our 250s. So let's get into the 450s then. So with Adam Censorillo out, we would have a new fastest qualifier for the first time in the 450s. And that would be his teammate, Eli Tomac, followed by Roxon. Justin Hill, Anderson, Wilson, Stewart, Webb, Barsha, Davlos, and Brayton. Ken Roxon would win Heat 1, followed by Anderson, Brighton, Barsha, Plessinger, Stewart, Brees, Blow, I'm sorry, Bloss, and Bowers going directly to the main event. Heat 2 would be won by Eli Tomac, followed by Justin Hill, Webb, who's putting in an oppressive, gutsy ride after that hard crash, huge get-off, landing on his back on the concrete in Arlington last week. Then you had... Davalos, Wilson, Freezy, Baggett, Reed, and Chisholm. Chiz is going to Chiz, going directly to the main event yet again. 
In the LCQ, James Weeks, Kyle Cunningham, Adam Intignap, and Daniel Herline would round out your 22 rider main event. So Ken Roxton and would get your whole shot in the main event, and after one lap, he would lead, followed by Davalos, Freezy, Justin Hill, Baggett, Wilson, and Tomac is back in seventh, then Brayton, Anderson, and Webb rounding out your top ten with Barsha in eleventh. This is what Roxon wanted. Out of all the four guys he's fighting against, your top five being Ken Roxon, Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, Justin Barsha, and, and it was Adam Censorillo, but Censorillo unfortunately got hurt, broke his collarbone last week. The three of the top four guys now that he's battling against are all behind him and actually buried. Tomac in seventh, Webb in tenth, and Barsha in eleventh. So with 18 minutes plus one lap, Tomac is all over the track. Coming out of the sand, he goes wide and he almost clips a tough block going off the triple, which would have been horrible if it would have kicked the bike in any way. He holds on to it, but he looks like he's panicking a little bit. This is what Eli does. We're sitting here going, oh no, is he gonna have a bad race? But let's get back into let's get back into the action. So um he he's just riding Tomac's riding really loose in a flat corner before the bridge jump. His back end kind of slides around, which allows Anderson to get by, and Barsha is is almost runs into him. Uh, they might have made a little bit of contact, but that's just because Tomac's back tires slid out, and he he straightened up a little bit. Coming over the bridge jump, they would go into the Knicks rhythm section, and Barsha would put a block pass on Tomac, but Tomac would get a better run through the Knicks rhythm, and he would hit Barsha right back pretty hard. Both passes were aggressive. Both passes had contact, but neither one of them were dirty. We're having this conversation week in and week out now after Ferrandez cleaned out Christian Craig. But I will say Tomac did run into Barsha a little bit harder than Barsha ran into Tomac. But both guys are, are block passing. Both guys are being aggressive. I like that type of racing. I don't want to see any of the riders get hurt. Don't get me wrong. But I don't mind seeing them get their days of thunder on you know rubbing is racing and and that's how i grew up watching racing in the 90s kadrowski uh emig larocco uh one time emig ran into larocco they both fell over and emig kicked them i mean that's going a little far a little extreme but but it almost gets to the point nowadays where if you touch a rider it's like basketball oh that's a foul you can't do that so i like seeing that aggressive riding style that barsha has now um tomac i have no problem with tomac dishing it right back out so we're looking at now the very next lap after the block passes, Barsha is all fired up. You can see this. Okay. Tomac or Barsha puts the pass on Tomac. Tomac's already getting a little sketchy. I think already a little bit of panic mode. Now that makes him mad that Barsha's kind of run into him again. So he gets a great jive and he gives it right back to Barsha in the next corner. Makes contact. Barsha doesn't go down, and I'm not I'm not trying to say Tomac's intent was to put Barsha down, but it's almost like Tomac's got this uh-oh moment. Now I have messed with the bowl. Here come the horns, and you can see it in Barsha. Barsha's coming down the start straight, you know, going into the flat first quarter. I mean, he he's got – I don't even think he lit off the gas. He just pulls the clutch in. That Yamaha is just whining. And, and Tomac knows he's there. Tomac's getting impatient. He's got to get away from Barsha. 
He knows Barsha is coming, and Barsha is coming on hard. So he sits there, and he, he makes an aggressive, a really aggressive move on Blake Baggett that doesn't work out. He comes off a single going into the corner and cuts straight across the turn. Baggett is behind someone and cuts down, has no idea Tomac is there, and Tomac completely just takes out his front tire. Takes out his front tire right about with his leg so bad that it, it flips Barsha, I'm sorry, it flips Blake Baggett onto Tomac, and both Tomac and Blake Baggett go down. So this allows Barsha to get by and several other riders to go on by. Cooper Webb gets by. So Tomac ends up picking himself up, and now he's all the way back in 15th place. So with 15 minutes plus one lap, the running order is Roxon, Davalos, Justin Hill, Freezy, Anderson, Wilson, Barsha, Plessinger, Webb, and Brayton ran out your top 10. Tomac has now worked his way up to 13th. Anderson clips Freezy's back tire going into the tunnel jump, and it stands him up. So it's a right-hand turn into the tunnel. He clips his back tire. It stands him up, which makes his front tire kind of go up the berm and go up the outside wall, which the suspension then rebounds and kicks his bike on his front tire in a 180, drops, and now he goes up, oh, straight across into the inside wall. Well, here comes his teammate Wilson around the inside. So now he's blocked his teammate. Here comes Plessinger around both of them. I don't think Plessinger actually completed the pass on Anderson, but it was kind of chaos going on everywhere. So 10 minutes plus one lap, and Roxon has a 9.5 second lead over the 450 rookie Martin Davalos, who was having a great ride. Uh, then you got Justin Hill in third, Freezy, Barsha's worked his way up to fourth, Anderson, Wilson, Webb, Plessinger, and Brayton rounding out your top 10. Tomac looks to have finally settled into his groove and found his rhythm. He's worked his way up to 11th and just two seconds behind Brayton to break into the top 10. It was like watching two different uh, Eli Tomacs this race. You know, we talk about how Eli comes out when he's feeling it, when he's on fire, he just Tomacs the field. Well, that's kind of the mode we're seeing now. And then the other side of the Eli Tomac coin is – he just kind of mentally locks up and, you know, he's trying his best. I'm not trying to say he's not. He's a great rider, but you just, you see these brilliance of tomacking the field and then you just get this stuck in the pack and you don't understand why. But anyways, it kind of seemed like he started out with the stuck in the pack Eli crazy all over. And then something happened after he, he went down with Baggett and he just settled and he looked like the super fast Tomac, who was ready to just blitz the field, and all of a sudden, it's like he was going so fast and passing people left and right, and he looked like he was in control the whole time. So we have eight minutes plus one lap, and Tomac makes a pass on Brayton, finally breaking into the top ten. Justin, Justin Hill, sorry, who has been riding a quiet third this entire main event, now has a lot of pressure from his teammate uh, Vince Freezy, followed by Barsha and Anderson. Six minutes plus one lap left. Barsha makes his way around Freezy into fourth and applying all kinds of pressure on Justin Hill. Barsha takes an outside line in the split section. They had a split section. You come over the finish line, you'd have a split section that would leave into a 180 bowl turn and then the wall going into the sand. Justin Barsha, I've been waiting for it all night. Justin Barsha, most guys were checking up and scrubbing and barely jumping over the wall. Justin Barsha sent it. He launched it. He must have been three bike lengths above 
Justin Hill. And he ends up landing halfway down the sand section, is able to get a good drive, and end up making the pass for third place. Anderson is around freezing for fifth. Webb is up to eighth, and Tomac is still in tenth, one second behind Plessinger, who is in ninth. The ruts are starting to get really choppy, and the riders are going lower and lower in the turns to avoid the, the bad ruts. Barsha gets help from, gets help, I'm sorry. Barsha gets a bad drive through the split section and kind of checks up, or uh, Anderson has to check up. This leaves Freezy and Wilson, who run right into his back tire in a pileup, and that allows Webb and Tomac to get on by and work their way up. So with three minutes plus one lap left, Barsha makes, Barsha has caught uh, Martin Davalos. And as we said with, uh, after Tomac did his block pass, you know, I said, Barsha is just whining. You always can tell when I, I was at the race in Arlington, you can always tell where Barsha is on the track because over the triple, he's always whining it in the corners. He pulls the clutch in. I don't think he ever releases the throttle. He just pulls the clutch in when he breaks for the corners. But anyways, so Davalos, we're going around the long sweeping flat corner for the first turn, which leads to the bridge. And Davalos is just kind of leans to the outside. So I'm pretty sure he knows that's Barsha who's coming up. Barsha gets by him on the inside, and before he hits the, uh, the goes up and over the tunnel jump, he looks over his shoulder to see who else is coming. So Davalos is having a great race. He's run second for 90% of this main event, but he knows he's fading. He knows Barsha's faster, and he knows how aggressive Barsha is. So I think he lets him by, thinking he'd rather get a third place and finish on the podium rather than fight Barsha while you're tired, risk going down on your own, getting hurt, or having Barsha take you out. Just over a minute plus one lap, and the adrenaline has kicked in for Webb. He has had Tomac behind him for a couple lights, couple laps now, and he is not letting him by. He was, uh, he, he's found a way to mentally block out the pain from last week's crash, and he is catching up Justin Hill. Over the wall into the sand section, Tomac is pushing Justin Hill, trying to also get by as Webb just did. Now we're coming to the last lap. Okay, so Tomac has caught Webb a couple laps ago, and the two of them are just picking up the pace, and they caught Justin Hill. Both of them got by Justin Hill. Now we're going down to the last lap, and they have caught Martin Davalos. Davalos, though, wants the podium, so he doesn't pull over for these two guys like he did Barsha. So it took Webb the last lap and half of the last lap to finally, I think it was three corners before the finish line, he he block passes like Davalos is rolling the complete outside of the berm. Um, excuse me. Webb comes from the inside to the middle, and then you see him turn the wheel and straighten it up to go for a split second, go straight in the corner so he can complete that block pass. And unfortunately, the block pass opened the door. Unfortunate for Webb, the block pass opened up the door for Tomac to cut down the inside, and he made the pass as well. So on the last lap, two corners left. Uh, Tomac tries rolling around the outside, going into the whoop section for the last time. Webb has kind of gone through the middle and is going down the middle of the whoops. But the ruts are so bad and so choppy, it looks like Tomac just gets a little off balance, isn't able to get the drive. Webb's able to hold on to a podium, and Tomac finishes in fourth. So let's take a look at our riders. The finishing order was Ken Roxon, followed by Justin Barsha, Cooper Webb, Tomac, 
And then it's Davalos, Justin Hill, Plessinger, Plessinger, Stewart, Freezy, Wilson, Anderson, Brayton, Bloss, Bowers, Reed, Chisholm, Intiknap, Herline, Baggett, Weeks, Cunningham, and Ryan Brees finishing out the the 22 rider field. So Ken Roxon, he qualified second. He got first in his he race and got first in the main event. Ken Roxon has proven that he is still wants this championship. He came in seven points down. Tomac has got four wins. He's got two. Tomac is starting to link them together. And next week, we're going into Daytona, which is Tomac's house. Now, don't get me wrong. Ken Roxon is really good in motocross, which Daytona is more of an outdoors motocross-style track. But Tomac is a three-time motocross champion, and he's won three out of five times in Daytona. So you don't want to go into Daytona and give up any more points. Another three points. Say he lost three points here, three points uh, again in Daytona. Now he goes from seven points down to like 13 points down. And that's even harder as we go in the second half of the season where uh, Tomac starts to really start to link his wins and his momentum together. So for Ken Roxon, he did exactly what he needed to do. He got out front. And not just quickly, but he got the whole shot. Let all the chaos, all the drama go down behind him. And he put the pressure on Eli Tomac. He said, hey, Tomac, you're going to have to come beat me. You're going to have to come run me down. And you're going to have to come beat me if you want this championship, if you want this win tonight. So that's my positive. Ken Roxon did everything right. He did everything he needed to. He only missed qualifying first. But at the end of the night, you don't get points for how you qualify. You get points for where you finish in the main event. And, and the whole shot made it so much easier, especially on a night when his top competitors all got bad starts. Um, with all the – the only negative I have for Ken Roxon this week is with all the chaos going on behind him, we kind of – I mean, no one forgot he was leading the race. But it's like we never saw him. We never heard his name until he finally crossed the finish line. And then I want to say this as well. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I believe it was after San Diego, that he, I'm sorry, it was after, after Tampa. He went down, he still got third. So it was after Tampa. When he's being interviewed on the podium, he just looked, I said, he just looked frustrated. He didn't, you know, Cooper Webb looked like he had that, that fire in his eyes. Like he just wanted to consume the competition. He was ready to fight. Ken Roxon looked like he was frustrated. Like, man, I don't know what I got to do. I went down. You know, he didn't look happy to be in third. He just looked very frustrated. Well, now they cut back to Ken Roxon as he goes across the finish line. And it looked just like when he got his first win in St. Louis. He had his hand in the air. He was excited. He was pumped up. And it, minus that heavy emotion that they had in St. Louis because it had been so long and he'd gone, come back from so going through so much adversity. I mean, he was amped. And I was glad to see that. I, it's like that lit was rekindled in him. And he he is now tied for points. Him, Ken Roxon made up seven points. He was down seven points. Him and Eli Tomac both have 200 points and will be sharing the red plate going into Daytona. So for Ken Roxon, I am so glad to see this. I'm a fan of Ken Roxon with everything he's gone through. And to come back and, and just be in it. I didn't want to see like last year. We're getting a little. I was getting a little worried as he was starting to struggle a little bit. That towards the second half of the season last year, he started off strong, 
2019, he had the red plate a little bit in 2019, and all of a sudden, the last half of the season, he just didn't have it. And I was afraid we were going to see that again. But he showed, no, he's not going there. He's not letting that happen. He mentioned at A1, he dreams about having that number one on his Honda. So he he's, I'm so glad to see Ken Roxon get the win, even things up. It's like NASCAR. It's like we're doing a, a uh, you know, the chase now. The points are reset between those two. They're dead even with eight races to go. So it's going to be an exciting season, and I hope Ken stays in it to the very end. So the second rider we got is going to be Justin Barsha. He qualified eighth. He was fourth in heat one, and he got second place in the main event. Justin Barsha rode like a beast. I was so glad to see this. We, I keep saying we. I, I do this podcast by myself, so I don't know who we is. But I um, made a statistic, a comment several weeks ago. I think it might have been during the Glendale round or the Oakland round, episode one or two of this podcast. And I made the comment that if you look at the numbers, when Barsha starts in the top five, he finishes on the podium. When Barsha start, starts outside the top ten, he finishes outside the top five. Well, this time he started outside the top ten in 11th, and he finished in second. So for him, also the positive, this is his first podium since the first two rounds of the season. He won Anaheim, won the season opener for the second year in a row, and he got second place in St. Louis when he wasn't feeling that good. But... He came from 11th place out of the three riders. Okay, I mentioned the four top four riders battling for this title. Ken Roxon, Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, and Barsha. Well, Justin Barsha came from the farthest back. Justin Barsha started behind all four of them. Ken Roxon got the whole shot in first. Eli Tomac in seventh, Cooper Webb in tenth, and he was in 11th. He ended up charging all the way up and getting second. So, I mean, a great ride for Barsha. Very impressive. My negative, though, is going to be his starts. I keep saying this. I've said it several times in a row. With how good these guys are, he needs to be finishing, or I'm sorry, he needs to be starting up front with them. Ken Roxon, his average lap after the entire main event was done, was a 52.5. Justin Barsha's average lap was a 52.8. That is 0.3 slower than Ken Roxon. So if Barsha could have started second or third and run with Roxon right from the beginning, he had the speed to possibly stay with Roxon, to keep the pressure on, and maybe Roxon makes a mistake and he wins this thing. Barsha is not doing typical Barsha. Barsha usually shows flashes of speed and then just he's a top 10, top 8, top 6 rider the rest of the year. No, he's showing speed this year all the way through. We thought Anaheim, yeah, again, there's the week. And I thought Anaheim, yeah, well, he's won season openers before. I was happy he backed it up and with the second in St. Louis. And then he just kind of, you know, he was there. He's getting consistent fourth and fifth place finishes. And that's what's kept him now 23 points back. So he's still in this championship. But he's kept that speed, and he showed it again here. If he can get a start, if he can keep getting starts in the top eight, 
top six, top five, he's going to be battling for wins every week. Now we're going to Daytona, like I've mentioned before. This is known as or considered to be more like a motocross outdoor style track. Now, it is the 50th anniversary. Ricky Carmichael has designed this track like he has the last few years. So with it being the 50th anniversary, I'm hearing lots of rumors about them putting a lot of old school and style things back into it for, you know, bring back that the the feel of all 50 years if they can. So it might be more of a super cross track than necessarily a man-made motocross track, but still. Barsha has one motos. Barsha has speed outdoors. So I look for him to bring that speed next week in Daytona, and he's going to need it because Tomac's a beast. Tomac is going – Eli is going to Tomac the field at Daytona, I have no doubt. Unless he gets caught in a first-turn pileup and bends something on the bike, Tomac is going to be in the front and winning Daytona. So my negative number two for Barsha is as much as I love his riding style, I, I talked about it during the, the race recap. I love the aggressive riding style. I grew up in the 90s. If you weren't bumping, you weren't riding hard enough. Rick Johnson, he used to talk about, hey, guy put his foot out in a corner. I try to run his foot over. I do whatever I could. Uh, Ricky Carmichael his, has a uh, the Real Talk 447 podcast. They're opening. There's a, Ricky Carmichael is saying, if you, I, he said, if you can't win, wreck someone who can. And that's what I did. So that was the 90s. We slammed into everybody in the 90s. Now, again, I just want to be clear. I don't want to see takeout moves. I don't want to see, oh, well, like, uh, case in point, and, and, again, I'm not saying it was done on purpose, but, like, Ferrandis and Craig, that was two, that, I mean, that was a takeout move. Even what uh, Eli Tomac did to Blake Baggett, I'm not a fan of that. He was, I don't think, again, it was done on purpose. It just was a stupid move. He was now nowhere near close enough and nowhere near in the right position to make that block pass. But I don't want to see, like, I don't want to see T-Bones. I don't want to see Michael Essie style just run straight into someone kind of – I don't want to see anyone get hurt. I don't want to see anyone be purposely taken out. But like I said, I love that saying in Days of Thunders. He didn't hit you. He didn't slam you. He just rubbed you, and rubbing is racing. And that's what a, a clean, aggressive block pass is, and that's what Barsha does. Now, my negative to that is Barsha is not afraid to make contact. Barsha is usually the first one to make contact, but then when things go haywire, he he doesn't, you know, he's the first one to complain about it. You know, oh, he ran into me. You know, like if, if you've been on social media, Instagram, Twitter, you've seen the video of everyone down by the podium filming Tomac and Barsha yelling back and forth. And I admit, after the move Tomac made on Baggett, I don't think he was in a position to really argue that much about what Barsha did. But he wasn't happy, and Barsha wasn't happy that he wasn't happy, and you know. But just for Barsha, like R.J. Hampshire and Jason Anderson, they're aggressive riders. They they make contact when they pass. But when it's done to them, hey, that's racing. I'm good with it. So for Barsha, you just need to if you're gonna dish it out, you gotta be willing to take it. That's just racing. But I love your style, anyways. So that brings us to Cooper Webb. No matter if you are a Webb fan or you're not a Webb fan, no matter if Webb defends the number one plate 
or he doesn't win the championship this year. Webb's performance tonight in Atlanta was nothing less than heroic and a championship ride. Cooper Webb, I, I thought it was all over for him when he crashed last week. He's been doing rehab and visiting the doctors. He was so in so much pain after the race that he, as soon as the podium was done, he went straight to the doctors. He didn't even show up for the post-race press conference. That's how much pain he was in. They were saying uh, why he was signing pits, signing posters in the pits before the race. He had something on his back to help massage it or, or uh, you know, in any case, he, he was doing therapy even while he was signing autographs. There were certain things that you would see he he couldn't be aggressive in choppy corners. It didn't seem like he was seat bouncing a whole lot because I'm sure that really hurt. So, I mean, the mental toughness Cooper Webb has to block out all that pain and to gut out a third-place ride. And he didn't start up front. It wasn't like he got the whole shot and faded to third or he got started in third place and just just stayed there. No, he was way back in 10th place. And he refused to let Eli Tomac buy him. He didn't do anything to block him or hinder him. But he said, no, I'm going to ride faster, I'm going to ride stronger, and I'm going to ride smarter. And you're not passing me. And that's exactly what he did. Tomac could not pass him. Now, he did get a little bit of gifts. There was the pile up with Anderson and Freezy and Wilson. You know, so there were certain, you know, he got around Baggett and, and Tomac when they took each other out. So he got some gifts. But nonetheless, I am so impressed by Cooper Webb. My negative is the old cliche. The number one plate is heavier and harder to defend than it is to win. So, unfortunately, starting the season off really sick, Cooper Webb had a horrible round in St. Louis. He got 12th place because he said, you know, with his cold, he just couldn't breathe. Now, with his big crash in Arlington at the Triple Crown, he ended up 12th overall again. So he is now, he came into Atlanta over one race behind in points. The winner of every race, every main event, gets 26 points. Webb was 27 points back. He is now 23 points back. Or I'm sorry, 24 points. Uh, Justin Brayton's 23. So Cooper Webb's 24 points back. So he's made up three points. But he, going forward, if Cooper Webb won every single main event there's eight races left and either ken roxon or tomac got second place in every race not either or just ken roxon got all seconds these last eight races or eli tomac who's tied in points for the lead got all seconds in every race these last eight races cooper webb would make up 24 points three points difference between first place and second place and eight races, three times eight is 28 points. I'm sorry, 24 points, which is exactly the number of points he's down. That would bring us into a tie in which uh, Cooper Webb would win because the tiebreaker is most wins on the season. So that would be nine wins for Cooper Webb because he has one. So he is not out of this championship. He can do it. And as a rider of the Webb wagon, I am pulling for him, and I hope he does do it. However, the likelihood of Cooper Webb, especially with as sore as he is, and it's going to take a couple weeks, if not pretty much the rest of the season, before he's 100% again. 
So the, the odds of him winning all eight races are very slim. Now, what he can do and what he needs to do is try to win as many races as he can. Eli Tomac is going to have races he's strong at. Daytona is his house. He's pretty good at Las Vegas. But the last couple of years in Las Vegas, Anderson and Webb have just been doing enough to get the championship locked up. Because Vegas, uh, the last, actually for quite a while, this is the first year that I can remember that the final race isn't in Las Vegas. But anyways, so there's at least two rounds that you can pretty much assume I might as well say three because Denver, Colorado, that's his hometown. He's from Colorado. So for Cooper Webb, he has to win as many races as he can because there is, you know, East Rutherford has never been kind to, to Eli Tomac. So he could have a bad race there. You know, Ken Roxon, if he doesn't get a good start, look at Oakland. He could get stuck in fifth or sixth and not. So those are the nights when they have their bad races. Those are the nights Cooper Webb especially has to win, and he needs to be finishing in front of Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon if he wants any shot at this championship. Like I said, it is possible. I'm really pulling for him because Cooper Webb is my guy. I'm riding the Webb wagon, and I am so proud that Cooper Webb is hashtag WebStrong, but it's going to be very difficult for him to do. So speaking of having to beat Eli Tomac, let's talk about Eli Tomac. He was the fastest qualifier. He won his heat race, and he got fourth in the main event. Tomac, hands down, had the worst race he's had all season. I believe he started out with a seventh at the season opener in Anaheim. But still, that was, you know, the first race, there's always bugs to work out. There's always issues. There's setups. No matter how good you think your setup is during practice, when you get to the track, it's like, oh, wait, man, this just isn't the same. And, you know, there's always the jitters of the season opener. So other than the season opener, Tomac's done really good. This race started out as a bit of a mental meltdown. And what I mean by that is if you watch the first, I don't know, say the first eight minutes of the race, Every time you can watch Eli Tomac on TV on the NBC Sports app, he is squirreling. He is pushing it. He is he's all over the place. He looks like Ricky Carmichael or Jason Anderson, and that's not how he rides when he's fast. Like I said, he almost clipped the tough box. Going off the face of a triple, that is bad news. That is a, a season-ending injury, possibly. I mean... Just saying, he made the mistake of getting into another battle with Barsha. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have blocked past Barsha. I'm just saying that he looked really sloppy. Then he took out Blake Baggett. Now, I will say this, you know, Blake Baggett cut down on him. But the only way Blake Baggett would have 0% uh, fault in this incident is if he basically rode the very top of the berm all the way around. And even then Tomac was coming in so hot. I still think he might've hit him hard enough to knock him over and still knock him down, but just maybe not take himself out as well. So I, I put that, that bad pass um, 
I'll say 85, 90% Tomax fault and, and 10, eh, we'll say 90 and 10% uh, Baggett's fault. But Baggett had no idea he was there, had no idea he was coming in there like that. So, you know, he, he does get a little bit because he did cut down, but it is, it's Tomac's fault. Tomac, and again, I'm not saying Tomac's dirty. I'm not saying he's a bad rider. I'm not saying he at all intended whatsoever to try to take Baggett out. But he made a stupid move, and it ended up really bad for both of them. But with all that said, I know I said this is my positive, and that all sounds negative. But with all that said, Tomac did what a champion has to do, and that's minimize the damage on your bad night. Seventh, ended up going down probably around sixth or fifth place. Uh, probably about eighth. Sorry, he started in seventh, so probably about sixth or fifth place. Yes, he made the mistake with Baggett, went down, and fell all the way back to 15th. Um, then you look at his climb from 15th to 4th, and you think about if he just didn't make that mistake and didn't go down with Baggett. I mean, he could have worked his way up into second. Kenny was gone. I don't think he could have caught Ken Roxon. But even if he would have finished third or fourth, he would still have probably at least a one-point lead going into Daytona. But now he's tied. But like I said, I, I was very impressed with once he settled down. And those last 10 minutes at least, he looked Tomac fast. He looked like no one... No one could stop him. Now, again, like I, I said with Baggett, he got some gifts also with the pile up and and the way uh, Webb took Davalos so high in the final lap, that left the door wide open for him to get around Davalos as well. So, I mean, he got some help, but it doesn't matter. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, but didn't. doesn't matter. Speculation doesn't matter. Results matter. And the result is, no matter what happened or why the circumstances were, he ended up fourth place. So I was glad to see that he pulled it back in, he kept it together, and he was able to salvage a top five finish and is tied in the points as opposed to being negative in the points. My negative for Eli Tomac is he's not making any friends out there. He's been building enemies. And what I mean by that is Barsha and Tomac have been having an aggressive block passing fit, if you will, for several races now. Um, it started in, in Oakland. I'm sorry, not Oakland. It started in San Diego. It continued on here. Um, and now he has made a bad move and he's taken out Baggett. And Baggett was thoroughly upset. Baggett is not one who shows much emotion, but all the podcasts I've listened to this week from people that were at the races said Baggett was so mad. He went back to the pits. He didn't stick around at all. He got his family, packed his stuff up, and was off to the hotel room. Um, it was said that Tomac was even told by the Kawasaki team to go over there and apologize to Baggett, but when he got over there, Baggett was long gone already. So now you got Barsha who has definitely not 
been afraid of Eli Tomac. I'm not saying he's targeting Tomac up to this point. I'm not saying that, but he definitely has no problems racing Eli Tomac really hard. And now after this argument, he he's Barsha calling Tomac a dirty rider. Uh, it's kind of a funny exchange because you hear Barsha, I didn't even hit you. Tomac's like, yes, he did. And he's like, I barely hit you. And then he's all, my pass was clean. You're a dirty rider. So it's funny to hear that from Barsha. But in any case, there are people out there now who are not afraid to really stick it to Eli Tomac as this series goes on. And that could really hurt Tomac's chances of sealing this championship finally. Yeah. Barsha takes him out. Baggett takes him out in any race. He finishes outside the top ten. That could be all it takes for Ken Roxon to win this championship, to get a big enough points lead that, that Tomac can't take it back. Tomac is is got to find a way to settle things down. He's got to find a way to make things, I don't want to say make things right, but he's got to find a way to patch things up with Justin Barsha so that hopefully Barsha isn't a factor that decides this championship aside from Barsha winning. So, I don't know what to tell you, Eli. The only thing I can tell you is your best bet is to get whole shots, get in front of these guys so they don't touch you. I will say this. I will say this, and I want to definitely tip my hat to Blake Baggett because as mad as everyone said he was, there was a moment where they lapped Blake Baggett. They showed Barsha. I'm sorry, Barsha was out front. They are up. I don't know if he was quite in second yet, but he was working his way up there. They showed Cooper Webb and Eli Tomek was behind him. They come around and lap uh, Baggett. And there's a couple corners where Baggett's kind of right there on Eli. And one time where Baggett's just going straight across the inside of the flat corner before the tunnel jump. And I'm thinking, ooh, is Baggett going to look for a little bit of revenge? But he, he played it smart. So I tipped my hat to Baggett. He was a lap down. He did not interfere at all especially after hearing how mad he was. But so for Eli Tomac, you you got to you got to take control of this championship. You got to start getting some hole shots, get out front, not have any of these altercations and let the dust settle, let let the let the anger fade and, and make this championship yours. Um, as Dana White always says in the UFC, don't let the judges decide who wins the fight. So for Eli Tomac, don't let uh payback and other riders decide who wins this championship um you take the bull by the horns and you take this championship and run you've got your you got dylan your super fan who sees no wrong in anything you do so you know you got to feed off his vibes feed off his energy be positive and just go and you got to come out and tomac the field man when daytona Win Indianapolis, win Detroit. I pegged you to win five races this year. I pegged Ken Roxon to win five races, and I pegged Cooper Webb to win five races. To uh, sorry, Roxon has three now, and Tomac has four. Webb has one, but with his injury, I don't really know. As much as I want him to win more races, I don't really know if he actually will be able to win any more races. Um, I'm just glad to see him out there. I'm glad he didn't break anything. I'm glad there's no... No uh, personal injuries, or I'm sorry, long-lasting injuries. Uh, hopefully in a couple weeks, well, we'll be back to 100%. But 
So, Eli Tomac, I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry I'm kind of rambling and going down rabbit trails with you. Um, but, you know, the odds of you ever hearing my podcast are like zero to zero. So that brings us to our fifth place rider, Martin Davalos. I mean, what a night for Martin Davalos, even finishing fifth place. You know, some people want to say criticism that, oh, he faded at the end. He was in second place and he couldn't finish it. Webb got him on the last lap. Yada, 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 yada. Look at Martin Davalos's season. They were joking around. He hit the ground so many times in Arlington that come Tuesday, Wednesday, they were still saying he was probably out there crashing. Martin Davos has had a really bad start to a 450 season. So for him to finish fifth, no matter what the circumstance, no matter if he came from behind, worked his way up to fifth, or he rode second 90% of the race and faded the third or fifth on the last lap, it doesn't matter. Martin Davos got his first top five finish in the 450 class. People want to sit there and say, hey, the big guy started behind him. Yeah. So when they all got by, where did he finish? In fifth place, right behind the top four guys. So for Martin Davos, I got nothing but good for you. You did a great job. I hope you build off this. I hope you get some negative. Um, you do need to kind of work on some endurance, though. If you want to be up there, if you want to be battling with these guys, you need to have his speed at the end of the race as you do at the beginning of the race. That's where Cooper Webb is good. That's where Eli Tomac is good. Ken Roxon gets out front early and just tries to leave everyone behind. And he's strong for all 20 minutes plus one lap. But Cooper Webb, he pours it on those last five minutes. Uh, Tomac is just a beast. Barsha's a beast. So that's what you need to focus on now, uh, Davalos, is being able to be as fast at the end of the race as you are at the beginning of the race. I, I want to close this podcast out by uh, giving a shout-out to Justin Hill. Sixth place, great start. Uh, I watched a uh, post-race interview with him. After the race, I believe it was uh, Jason Wygant. He does his post-weight race walk through the pits, uh, selfie cam. I forget what you call it. But anyways, he does it every week on the Racer X YouTube channel. And he got inside the trailer or the, the big rig where Justin Hill was. And you could see Justin Hill was bummed out. He was bummed out because he ran third for most of the race and then he... He got caught by the fast guys and faded back. But for Justin Hill, like he said, it's hard. you got to be happy because this is the best race he's had. He just wanting to be on the podium so bad and then being there for most of the race and losing it was hard for him. But hold your head up. You are showing speed. You were a fastest qualifier uh, a couple weeks ago, I think last week in Arlington. So you've got the speed. Just keep, keep healthy and keep trucking. And you're going to get there. I have no doubt Justin Hill will easily get a uh, get a podium and someday soon possibly even a win. So that's going to wrap up this podcast. I want to thank everyone, like always, for, for listening. Please uh, like, give it a thumbs up, share it, retweet it, comment, all those other social media things that you do. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. At Dented Pipe. You can follow me on Instagram at Dented Pipe Podcast, or you can even shoot me an email. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, comments, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, that you can all send to Dented Pipe, one word, at gmail.com. That's Dented Pipe at gmail.com. And with that, I just want a quick, I'm sorry, I just want to do a quick little, uh, quick little correction. Last week, I, in episode five, 
for Arlington, Texas, I had stuck in my mind it was round eight of the series. So I kept saying episode eight. No, it was actually episode five. And this is episode six. So I apologize for that mistake. With that said, thank you for listening. Have a great evening. And I'll see you next week when we talk about Daytona.